Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Welfare. I'm Amy Lane, and each week we break down the barriers to running so you can get more from your time in your trainers. I'm currently taking an extended break to learn how to juggle a toddler and a newborn, but that doesn't mean you have to rest up too. So I thought it would be handy to revisit some of our most loved and most listened to episodes from the past seasons. The advice and expertise is as useful today as it was back then. So prepare yourself for the cracking tips from the experts around the globe. Together, will help you reach your running goals this year. Today's episode is a rerun from season one, and it's a fabulous mix of expert advice and inspiring run chats, plus a 16-week guide tailored to support your marathon journey. So if you've started 2022 with that goal in mind, or if you are just keen to run for fun, then we are here to help you through. Keep up the good work, and when you start flagging, why not get involved in the Welfare Strava Club or support each other from afar on Instagram using the hashtag welfare. I hope you enjoy this episode and I really hope it helps you to keep going welfare this year. Welcome to Welfare, the weekly running podcast that will be by your side as you train for 26.2. It's hosted by me, Amy Hopkinson. By day, I'm Women's Health Digital Editor, but when not in the office, I'm a marathon runner too. So this year, with the race on the horizon, I'm here to help with blisters and bruises, runners' highs and lows, what to eat before Sunday run day, and how the heck you refuel after. Firstly, congratulations for signing up for your first marathon. Also, big high five for signing up to my podcast. Anyone who has finished a 26.2 mile race will tell you that going the distance will change your life. You'll be talking about it, or bragging about it, for years to come, and no doubt your finishers picture will be your most liked on Insta. But how the hell do you begin to train for your most physically challenging and mentally taxing fitness goal yet? And do you really need to go out and spend a fortune on all new kit? In today's episode, I'll cover both of these as I run with the UK's most authoritative voice in running, Runners World editor Andy Dixon, and I talk about trainers and getting started with self-proclaimed foot geek and running expert Emma Kirk Odenubi. So, let's get going. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to Marathon Training Season 2019. If you're thinking, gosh, she sounds so jolly, but those words fill me with dread, because perhaps the only running you've done over Christmas was to the fridge, or you're not a runner, then don't worry, I felt exactly the same this time last year too. But not only did I survive marathon season, I learned to really love it, which is why I'm sat here in my sports bra and leggings, a little sweaty after our long run, recording this podcast from my living room. What have I been doing so far? Well, first of all, I've been doing some research into training plans um, and deciding which one I'm going to follow this year. Last year, I learned that there is no best plan. Fact. And the reason that I say that is because there is only a best plan for your lifestyle. 
So last year when I started my marathon training, I actually went through a couple of different plans in the first couple of weeks. The first one, I remember getting this plan and it was like a foreign language to me. Not only did it have all these times on it, which I didn't understand, but it also had really complicated strides and speed work to do at the end of a run. And I just found that far too much for me because I was a complete beginner and I just needed something easy. And so I found it really stressful. So I stopped that plan and then I found another plan, which I thought looked simpler, but actually it had about six days a week of running in and I don't have enough time in my week for that. And so then I finally found a third plan And my third plan last year had around three to four days of running, two gym sessions and yoga. And that really worked for me. And so what I would say is I've really learned that you need to really be honest about what time you have in your week for marathon training and what time you don't have. Because there really is no fun in overcommitting and then subsequently giving yourself a mental bashing because you had to work late again and subsequently skipped another session. So first of all, why don't you do what I do and get out your diary, circle all your free time, see how many hours um, that totals up to and then try and find a plan to fit. Obviously, you are going to have to make a few life changes during marathon training, um, but you definitely don't have to become a hermit. But there might be a few things you might need to shuffle around just to make a little bit more space for it. So the other thing I've been doing this week is refreshing myself with running terms. I will never forget this time last year when it was my first week, maybe it was my second week of training, and I was set to go on a tempo run. And I did my warm up in the house and I was all ready to go. And then I shut the door and I realized that actually I didn't understand what a tempo run was. And so it was freezing. I was there on my doorstep. I was Googling tempo run, how to do a tempo run. What is a tempo run? And yeah, safe to say that session wasn't that fun because I got so cold when really I could have just done that prep beforehand. So I have been refreshing myself on all the terms like tempo run, fartlek, mile pace, 5k pace. If you do a Google, you will find all of those. The next thing I've been thinking about is knowing when to push myself and when to hold back during my week. Again, another memory from last year is going out on every run in the first couple of weeks and thinking I had to run them as fast as possible, which I don't know whether that was just a beginner thing or an ego thing, not too sure. But anyway, I was literally going out on every run and running them all at the same pace and then realising that it was actually really, really tough to keep running at that pace. Then my pace would naturally slow and I couldn't really understand what was going on. It was only then that I discovered that as a runner, you will learn to have lots of different gears, a bit like a car, um, and that it's totally normal to run 5k of a 10k run slower than you would run a 5k. And that sometimes you need to go up a gear or sometimes you need to go down a gear on a slow and steady run. Knowing on your week what runs should feel easy and what runs should feel hard or fast is, I would say, a really good thing to sit down and figure out in the beginning. And so plans, terms, speeds and making it happen. Okay, so what I've been doing this week is I mentioned earlier on about figuring out 
what time you have in your week to train and that's what I've been doing this week. What I started by doing was putting in my long runs on a Sunday morning and the reason I do this is because I know that actually I have quite a busy Monday to Friday and so I know that I definitely don't want to get up on a Saturday morning and go running. I like to have that as my like chill day. So I plan my long run for a Sunday and um, this also means that because I like to have a rest day after a long run, I don't do any exercise on a Monday or rarely do exercise on a Monday. So that's quite nice because it means you can just do your Sunday long run, go to work on a Monday and come straight home from your job and not have to go to the gym or go do a run on a Monday night. I try to set off as early as possible in London just because the earlier you go out, the easier I find it is because... A, you don't have to stop at so many traffic lights. B, you don't have to dodge so many people. It's just a bit quieter. It's nicer. But I say as early as possible because I also have to allow time for breakfast. So after putting in my long run for around 8.30 on a Sunday in my diary, I then go into my diary and I set, <laughs> I plug in another event called breakfast at 7am. And that is because in the early weeks, I found last year that it was totally fine just to get up and go running, perhaps after a coffee or a small snack. But by the time six weeks in, mileage is getting quite high and you're burning loads of fuel I found that I really, really did need that good runner's breakfast before those runs. And so the only way to make sure that it happened or that I wasn't, I don't know, getting up at 7.30, eating at 7.45, running at 8.30 and then regretting it was by putting breakfast in my diary at 7am and then planning my run in to start from 8.30. I also think about how long the run's going to take me and make sure that I allow myself enough time that morning. There's nothing worse than being on your long run and worrying about being late for a lunch or getting home for a food delivery or those type of things. So really, really, really allow yourself enough time to take the stress out of it. So what I do is I plan in my run for around 8.30, but I do about 15 minutes of mobility and warm up inside the house. So I'll generally set off at about 8.45. So I do my run and then I allow 20 minutes for after my run for stretching and cooling down just to make sure that I don't just get in from a long run and then have to start rushing around and going on to the next thing. After planning in my long run for the week, I then plan in all the other runs. I really do try to train as much as possible outside because after all, the marathon won't be run on a treadmill. Um, my only exception is speed work as I really do find this easy on a treadmill. This week I've been using an app called Pace Converter. This allows me to choose my mile pace and then see what that is in kilometers per hour or miles per hour, which are the speeds on the treadmill. And so that's where I'm up to. The plan is in place, it's in the iCal. It is feeling like a very big task but by being quite organized with it it really really does make it feel more manageable. I am so excited to be running again this year especially with this podcast because I really hope to meet so many more women on the same journey really. Please do stay in touch. I'm on Instagram at wellness underscore ed. I'll be using hashtag welfare so let's chat Let's all be there for each other and let's enjoy marathon training season 2019. Right then, on to my first guest. (laughs) 
I'm so excited to be kicking off this series with Emma Kirk Odenubi. She is a running footwear buyer at Profi and on a daily basis analyzes running gait to help injured runners. Outside of full-time work, she is a runner who has completed multiple marathons. She is one of the lead coaches at Track Life London, is a strength and conditioning coach, and is also a very passionate trainer geek who reviews new footwear weekly. And as we're all about to start our marathon journey, I couldn't think of someone better than to have in the studio today. So welcome, Emma. Thanks, Amy. (laughs) So happy to have you here. So there are 40,000 people about to start their London marathon training. And I'm thinking that a lot of them have woken up and thought, I need to go and buy new trainers. Is that true? Yes. Basically, if you haven't seen how you're running or know how you run or know what you do with your feet, learn. Basically, education is key and it's a key thing I tell so many runners. So if you need to go and run a marathon, then you need to learn about what you need in tools wise in order to help you run. So definitely go and get yourself analysed and get checked out. And when you talk about being analysed, what what does that mean? So gait analysis is simply looking at someone's gait, whether that be walking or running. And obviously for those running or even walking the marathon, we want to know what your feet are doing over that period of that 26.2 miles. With fatigue, things can change. So ultimately going to get your feet analysed, get yourself to up on a treadmill, have a look and see how you're running, will give the person who's looking at you an idea of what's going on and how your feet are moving. They can then put you in the correct footwear to align with how your mechanics work, because not everyone's the same. So you can't all just pick a pretty shoe off the shelf, as we'd love to. Um, It's got to be functionally right for how you and your feet move. So before shelling out 50 quid upwards, ask somebody for some help. 100%. And that's that's the key thing. Because I think one of the fears of maybe asking for help in a running shop, a shoe shop, is that you think that as soon as you do that, you're going to be flogged the most expensive pair of shoes. Can you go for cheaper brands or... It's, for me personally, I think if you're going somewhere which is selling footwear and you're going there for the advice as well, Mm. ultimately, I say myself as a buyer, I will buy in footwear that I know a a marathon runner can run in. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, you see shoes say that we look at starting around that £90 mark. Yes, they can go all the way up to 160, 170. Ouch. Yes, it (laughs) is expensive. But I think if you're committing to the, the marathon... You want to look after your body for that distance. Yes, don't get me wrong, it is an outlay of money. But ultimately, these brands that put in this technology, it's there to one, help aid you, two, to benefit you biomechanically, and ultimately can actually aid your running and prevent injury. But getting yourself one in the right pair of shoes and analysed, and two in a shoe that you know is going to withstand all that mileage you need to do, it's worth spending a little bit extra. So once you've got your right pair of trainers, I've seen a few things banding about the internet about lacing your trainers differently. Is that a thing? At Profi, it's something where we see a lot of people with different foot shapes or problems. That's a lot of the time of the runner we see, but also beginner runners who have no idea about their feet. So whenever we fit a shoe or look at things, lacing is a big factor. So you can lace differently to lock your heel in place. You can lace slightly differently if you have a slightly wider foot. So to stop with irritation points and things like that. And there's other ways you can lace for slightly narrower feet and all those things. So it's definitely worth looking at. Um, Mm. There's a lot of videos on YouTube um, and you can find out all that information there. Or say, if you go and get an analysis, that person, you can ask them, oh, I I always feel my heel slipping or something like that. They can then give you that extra advice as well. Okay, so often it might not be that you might need to change the whole style of shoe. You could just need to lace it slightly differently to give you a different fit. Exactly. Ah, 
interesting. I'm going to go home <laughs> and be going on YouTube and finding out how I need to lace my shoes. Um, well, I know that one of the most common complaints of runners when they first start upping their mileage is about sore knees. Is there anything we can all start doing this week to help protect our knees? So for me, a massive thing about running in general is strength. The more strength that you put into your programme, and don't get me wrong, running the mileage is important and getting used to being in those, getting those miles under the feet is important. But if you're not strong enough to take that initially and help to protect by getting those muscles around those knee joints nice and stable and strong, for me, that's definitely the first thing. Um, Secondly, I'd say... From a technique perspective, a lot of things that new runners do is quite ploddy, just naturally, because then they're not used to running or or kind of taking their body on a longer distance run. Looking at things and a key word called cadence. So is your turnover of foot. So with knees, if you're a bit more ploddy, you spend more time on the ground. There's a lot more contact with the ground and it kind of is long lethargic steps. If you're turning your feet over quicker, but still running at the same pace, you're not putting as much initial hard impact and time into those legs. So strength work, ultimately, cadence. And then the final one I'd probably say is stretching. Mm. People don't think about stretching. You do the Mars and you're knackered when you get back from your run. (laughs) And you're like, I just can't, I just can't stretch. I can't move. I just need to sit on this sofa and just take it all in. Really, if you can do even five minutes before you get through the door, hold on to the door handle and just stretch the quads out a little bit. It's just going to relieve those knees for that extra longer. How about looking after your feet? So I think I learned a lot of hard lessons when I did my first marathon. I just used to put my trainers on and go out the door and I just didn't really give much thought to my feet. What foot self-care should we all be doing? Key one, firstly, without even thinking about the foot itself, is your sock. Sock is a massive one. So a lot of people day-to-day wear cotton socks. Nothing wrong with that day-to-day. When you're running and your feet sweat, cotton just absorbs that moisture. So when we're running, we want a sock that's going to allow that foot to breathe and allow that foot not to take that moisture on board because moisture and friction causes blisters. So if you can be in a sock, usually synthetic materials, there's lots of different types out there that basically allow your foot to breathe. So that's the first thing which will just help dramatically with foot care in general. Um, Other things that you can do is cutting your toenails. Yeah. Really easy one. It'll just (laughs) save, save the ends of the toes. And linking back to trainers, making sure your shoes are the right size. So day-to-day sizes, you're going to be about a size to a size and a half out from your normal everyday footwear. And it's because the last, which is basically the the shape that they make the shoes in for running trainers, is a little bit bigger. And it's just because the feet need more room to swell and expand as you go those distances. So I always talk about the rule of thumb. If you've got about a thumb's width off the end of that shoe, roughly that should be the right size for your marathon shoe. I really wish I'd known that last year because <laughs> I didn't get my marathon trainers um, with a thumbs width at the end. And I, after my first 15 mile run, my, to- my toenail fell off. Yeah, it's not. It's You learn from that. Yeah. <laughs> you learn from that. So no, it's, it's something I'd always say to people. It's the biggest thing to think about, the length of your shoe. Because ultimately you can do all of the other things I said, but if your shoe's too short, you're going to say bye to your toenails. So. <laughs> Um, are there other, any other common mistakes which you see first-time marathon runners making? I'd say really trying to stick to the plan 100%. I'd say that is the biggest mistake. Not that, not that it's bad to stick to it, mm. but if things go wrong, as life does, it jumps in there and kind of gets in the way sometimes, or you fall ill, or you get a little niggle on injury. Don't worry about missing some of your plan. Most plans are made with about 
85% of it to be completed. So the odd run dropped out here and there really is not a bad thing. Um, you have to judge it on feel. And if you just, if th- there's an injury niggling or it's too much, do not push it because that's why you won't make it to that start line. Pushing too much and feeling like you have to do everything or, oh, my friend's mileage is at 13. I need to be there, but I'm only at 10. Oh, wait, I need to catch them. Oh, look, they've got a half marathon next week and I haven't. Should I be there? Don't worry about anyone else but yourself. You're doing your own journey to the race day. So basically, don't share stats or compare stats with other people. exactly. And I think, don't get me wrong, social's incredible for marathon. And it's one thing that I found so much love for is sharing my journey of the kind of runs that went well or also went awfully. Then having other runners say, oh, I had a really bad run as well. And it's, it's not about, oh, you ran that super fast or he did that. No, it's actually getting out on those super cold mornings when you don't want to. And then someone else says, oh, I did that as well. Like we did it. Well done. And it's that community feel that you want to get from it. So yeah, okay, stats are great. But ultimately, you're all trying to do this awesome, crazy thing, run a marathon. So yeah. build each other up and kind of enjoy that experience rather than, yeah, getting bogged down in all the numbers. I regularly see you get up when it is basically still the middle of the night <laughs> um, and to make training sessions. Yeah. So how how do you approach that to make sure that they happen? Because I know that when I wake up in the morning and I see that it's dark and cold outside, sometimes I can force myself, but a lot of the times I don't. So what's your tip for... Biggest tip for me, one, I think it helps. I'm kind of a little bit of a morning person. Mm. So as much as it's a struggle, don't get me wrong, 4.40 alarm is not pleasant all the time. But once I'm up and kind of ready to go, I'm like, right, do you know what? I'm going to do this. Because for me, if I kickstart my day with a successful training session or something, that is my positive, which I help carry me through the rest of the day. Don't get me wrong. If you're an evening person, same thing, you get through that hard day or that difficult day and like, you know what? I'm going to do that run. If it goes well, it goes well, but you'll always feel better for it. Kind of no one kind of ultimately gets out on the road and goes, okay, I did that, but I wish I didn't. You always finish and you're like, I am a hero. I'm the best person. I made this, like, no matter where you come from, exactly. So I think the big bit of advice I'd say is try not to think about it and almost just get it done. And at the moment, um, you obviously, you you work as a footwear by an expert as well, but you're also a strength and conditioning coach and also you're a trainer at Track Life London. So is there anything which you see in your multiple jobs, you see female runners doing your multiple jobs, which you would just like to correct? I think the biggest one for me, and it's going to sound a little bit odd, Mm. is everybody trying to be a normal runner. Right. Um, especially from an analysis perspective. So a lot of things that you'll hear banded about, especially with female runners, is oh, I've got my hips to drop, my glutes are weak, that kind of thing, which don't get me wrong. In running, glutes are really strong and really important. What people always come to me and say, oh, I run with a bit of a weird leg or I run with a bit of a weird this. I'm like, do you run? They're like, yes. Successfully, do you finish a run? Yes. So why should you care about how you run? And I think, I don't know if it's female instinct to kind of always analyse what we look like and what we do and how we're doing something. Just get it out of your head. You're running. Don't care about how you run. It's a, it's a big thing, I think. So basically understanding that running looks different on everyone. 100%. There's no, there's no right way to run, really. Mm. There's, don't get me wrong, correct cues you can do, correct movements that will aid your running. But there is no one set, this is how you should run and this is how it should look. Because every person's different. Okay. I'm going to stop trying to be Dina Asher-Smith then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, you can always channel channel Dina, definitely. Channel Dina, but don't try and look like her. Um, You mentioned, you just mentioned breathing. So I know that one of the things that I've struggled with in the past is knowing, well, 
thinking too much about my breathing, but then maybe also not breathing enough or the right way. Like, yeah. what are your beginner's breathing tips? So the biggest one for me, when I first started running, um, I used to run with Nike Run Club. So back in the day, that was where I kind of found the community of running. Mm. And the biggest thing that helped me with my breathing was actually talking to someone. So running and talking to someone, because when you're talking, you have to regulate your breathing anyway. Your body doesn't kind of get huffy and puffy when you're trying to talk because you know where your breath needs to come through. So if you then run and have to do that, don't get me wrong. Initially, it's very laboured and you're really uncertain, but your body falls into a rhythm of finding the way to breathe and talk. So then ultimately, when I would do runs with them, I'd be running certain speeds and doing certain distances and like, oh, where's this come from? This feels really easy. And then when I go out and run on my own, my breathing would just naturally tune in. So for me, running with people and talking at the same time, having like conversational pace without trying to push too hard was the first thing that really kind of enabled my breathing to be a bit easier. On the other hand, if you're not used to running with people or don't really want to run with people, if you're on your own, keep relaxing the shoulders. Right. A lot of people take so much tension, even from daily life and everything. And when we breathe, we breathe up through the top of our ribs. Trying to breathe more through your stomach, through your chest is really going to help you just regulate that naturally. To beginners, do not fret about your breathing. And if you start to get discomforts in the chest or the shoulders when running, think about that relaxation. Or if not, go and see your physio, osteo or something to, to help with it. Okay, that's great. And what about if you get a stitch? So stitches are weird ones. And even me to this day, kind of, I will never forget my first marathon. Uh, was Amsterdam for me. And it was the final kilometre. And I genuinely keeled over. Couldn't couldn't walk properly, was fully collapsed, holding my stomach and basically felt like I was being stabbed in the rib aggressively. And it was awful. But for me that I couldn't find a way to get rid of it. And it was pure exhaustion. It was my whole body was just fatigued. And that's where that came from. Stitches in general, usually you want to try and increase the blood flow to the area. So when people hold it, that can help. But it's a very difficult thing. People still don't really know kind of where they come from. It Mm. just kind of happens. So I'd say if you're in the middle of a run, by all means, just stop and walk. Right. And that's another thing just to throw in there. Stopping and walking if you're in a training run is not bad. I think there's a lot of perception that you're a failure if you stop in a run or it's not the right thing to do. No, if you need to, you need to. Take a moment, take a breath and same with the stitch. If it's there, breathe it out. If you can keep running, but drop your pace a little bit, that can also just help get the blood flow back to the body a little bit better. But sometimes if you eat a little bit close to running... Mm. I always try and leave about an hour or so if I know I've got a long run coming up before I go and run. Because if I eat too close, I will get an immediate stitch. So that kind of digestion happening a little bit too too early. So on Sunday run day, do get, do get up, have breakfast, leave it an hour. Yeah, that's what I would personally do. Go out for it. And um, what would you say has made the biggest difference to your personal running journey? Strength. Um, My first marathon, mentally, I was totally ready. Physically, looking back, wasn't ready at all. I followed, as I said, that routine of I've got to get the miles in, got to keep getting the miles in. Don't get me wrong, I always had a strength background, so I always tried to get myself into the gym. But what I wouldn't do is if I felt sluggish, I wouldn't take that day off. I'd just go and keep running and pounding the floor. So for me personally... Strength was a massive factor. And do you find that you now do more prehab so you don't have to do the rehab? So much more prehab. Uh, before, as I say, I just get out the door and run. And don't get me wrong, sometimes that can that can be fine. But 
for me now, with all the injury that I had, I know that I need to warm it up. I know that it needs to be activated a little bit more, be that in a run or in a strength training session. Strength training, I do a little bit more just because of the movement patterns that I'm going to do in this with added weight. Mm-hmm. So I'll always do a little bit more for that. Um, but no, it's it's a big part. And yes, beginners, you're going to get so much info overloaded to yeah. you. But if you can do a little bit of dynamic movement before, so basically stretching where you're moving with it, that can really help. And then five minutes afterwards, we're at static. So you can just help cool down, relax the muscle. Don't have to move as much as you would stretching before. Yeah. And it's just going to make things a lot easier on your body. So for everyone who's about to kick off their long runs, what would you say are the three dynamic stretches which people should be doing? So for me personally, first one definitely would be to open up the hips. So some kind of uh, long lunges with a brushing overhead of the arms. So you're really stretching out through the whole chest. Also open up through the hip flexors. It's a massive one because a lot of us spend a lot of time sitting. So everything's really tight and short and you're not really going to get the benefits of Mm. running long with super tight hips because it's going to affect everything else. Um, Next one with me would be calves. Calves take a lot of the hits and a classic injury or niggle you'll hear people getting is shin splints or shin pain, yeah. which is which covers that whole ground. If your calves are super tight, you're going to offload and put more stress on those shin bones. So trying to get those calves nice and rolled out, whether it's a foot off the side of a step and just stretching out through there, pulsing up and down a little bit, that's really going to ease things off. Um, and then last thing, if you can, just kind of dropping the body down and just rolling your body and shoulders all the way back up to stand tall. A lot of people are so tight in back and shoulders and everything else. So really getting some nice smooth movement through the back and upper body will just help ease everything off and then go out and run. And I've seen people use tennis balls, rolling their feet on tennis balls yeah. and that type of thing. Is that, that is a thing? Definitely. So at Profeet, the key direction we come from is about the feet it's always about the feet a lot of injuries yes will happen at the hips and happen at the knees but if the feet aren't functioning correctly it's going to impact everything further up the chain okay so for us the more that you can keep the feet nice and loose so yes tennis balls rolling on the feet in the evenings i've got a lot of friends of mine that i've told to have tennis balls at their desks at work take the shoe off and do a sneaky foot roll at kind of an hour or so just to loosen things off um it will make a big difference in terms of function. But not only that, doing strength work as well. So people think about kind of strengthening their glutes and everything else, but you're on your feet and you need to run on your feet. So why don't they need to be strong? So foot strength exercises, simple things like picking up towel with your toes and dropping it back down again when you're watching telly in the evening. Simple as that. Or when you're brushing your teeth in the evening, standing on one leg while you brush your teeth activating the ankle muscles also switching on the glutes a little bit as well and getting the toes to activate to try and stabilize you so really simple things that you can build into day-to-day life that you don't have to think as oh i need to put aside time to strength train no no build it into daily routines so sitting at the desk for five minutes rolling the foot get home from work sitting down eating food ah let me pick my towel up with my toes all those kind of things are really just going to make it easier for you i've got one last question for you okay um so what is your one piece of ultimate Marathon advice for new runners 2019. Love the journey. Oh, That's it. Love the journey. Don't get me wrong. All the strength stuff I said is super important and everything else. But if you love the journey of getting yourself stronger, being that runner, becoming that stronger runner, you'll you'll love it. That's the best thing. And it'll become an experience you won't forget. She's smiling as she's saying that. (laughs) 
thank you so much, Emma, for all that amazing information for Welfare. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks so much. Where can people find you on social media um, and also find out about all your amazing footwear reviews that you do? So you can find me at Emma Kirkio on Instagram. And my YouTube channel is Her Shoes, Her Fitness. So all the info's in there. I've got some of the trainer lacing videos on there too. So about different ways to lace. And then I review or try to review as much as I can all of the new shoes that are coming in for kind of each season. Great. Thanks, Emma. And thanks, guys. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So thank you for listening and reaching the third part of Welfare. This is the first of my conversational chats um, for Welfare and I'm kicking it off with Andy from Runners World. He's just getting mic'd up. We're about to go running. I'm a bit scared about his pace. Conversational pace for him is probably sprint pace for me. So I have just set off on a run with Andy from Runners World. Hiya. (laughs) Andy has been in his current position for 11 and a half years which means he has edited 142 issues of Runners World. Oh, no. Is that right? Yeah, 142. I just had to work it out on a piece of paper though. It's not like it's, it was on top of my head. <laughs> so what attracted you to become the editor of Runners World? Well, um, I've always been involved in health and fitness so I used to work on uh, men's health and men's fitness and, and kind of health mags. So I, I like the idea of the service magazine that helps people change themselves and change themselves for the better. So that was the kind of holistic reason. Um, I also thought when I got the job, I was kind of a little bit overweight. So was, <laughs> from a selfish perspective, it would actually help me um, drop some pounds. And it, it certainly did that. Um, that was 11 and a half years ago, as you say. Oh, and um, since then... You know, I started in the job, built up the distances just gradually, so 10k, half marathon. After a year, I tackled my first marathon, so now I've done 20. Do you get a lot of people emailing saying, I never thought I could run X distance? Yes. And then? Yeah, all the time. I think people feel self-conscious. I mean, once you've been a runner for a while, you don't really care about what people think again. There's loads of runners around, but I think when you start out as a runner, people can feel a bit self-conscious. Um, so we've heard stories about people who would only run in the dark because they were just didn't want to be seen. And then fast forward 
months or years, and they're multiple marathoners, and they're obviously not self-conscious about running anymore. They're doing really big distances and kind of really embracing their, the new side of themselves as runners um, and calling themselves runners. And um, that kind of story of transformation is so common. Um, it's definitely worth worth doing running for that reason. Because it's something I can definitely relate to. Like last year, well, I'd been asked for, I've been at Women's Health four years now, and I've been asked so many times had I done a marathon and what my time was. Yeah. And I was actually put off from running because of the competitive nature. Yeah. And so then when I, when I was finally given an opportunity to run a marathon and embrace just the finish line aspect yes. and doing it for... Um, just to get the medal and the achievement yeah. as opposed to the time, that was something I was really into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the beauty of running, you know, running has changed a lot in 11 years, but the one part of it has always stayed the same, and, and that's it's, it's ultimately customizable. However you want to slice it and dice it, whether you just want to run for fitness twice a week, if you just want to run a couple of miles to fit it into your life, that's fine. At the other end of the spectrum, if you want to go deep into kind of races and com- competitiveness and chasing times, then that's also good. But all of those people right across the spectrum are all runners, absolutely. doesn't matter whether you're doing five miles a week or 50 or 100. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's a very broad church and it's a very friendly church as well. Everyone's kind of... It's great when you, you don't get it so much in London, but it's great when you run past a runner who you don't know and you get, you get the little runner's nod. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> right now we're just dodging suitcases. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that you said that when you started at a runner's world and you built up and you finally did a marathon. Yeah. And then how many marathons did you do before you decided you were going to try and break sub three? Probably around five or six my I mean in my early years of marathon running my progression was quite rapid so yeah I think I'd done five or six marathons and I was just taking minutes off my PB and bringing it down to kind of the low threes I'm kind of of getting into the kind of competitive side of it I'm not there now by the way I'm glad to say (laughs) Uh, and thought I would give it a shot and after a couple of goes I got there but I would say that Although I'm quite proud of the achievement, I didn't enjoy the training for sub three, didn't enjoy the race because it was just super hard. And and my vow was always that if I achieved it, that that would be me. My time chasing days in marathons were over and I've stuck to that. So I've done marathons since, but more slowly, just enjoyed them more. I've done quite a few as a run as well pacer because we paced for the London Marathon. And actually, they're the races that really stick in the mind. You know, when you can kind of, you're running a little bit more comfortably and not at your limit. And you can look up and enjoy the crowd. You know, don't get me wrong, the last few miles of a marathon, as you know, Emmy, are always going to be hard. Um, But it's about managing that. It's about not hitting the wall really suddenly and just managing that that, um, fatigue. I felt like at 22 miles that my lower body was double the weight what it was. <laughs> yes. And suddenly, yeah. um, not only was it double my weight, 
I felt like I was running through quicksand. Yeah. Classic. Is that classic? Yeah, classic jelly leg feeling, yeah. Oh, I was fine until that point, though. The other thing that I get when I'm extremely tired at the end of a marathon is my brain just stops working. So simple, simple maths just becomes too challenging. Like, I remember at the end of the marathon, I did sub three, and although I'd kind of, I knew my mile splits had to be a certain time, I just couldn't, couldn't really focus. <laughs> I didn't know what numbers meant anymore. I was just running, running on <laughs> courage and <laughs> fumes. Determination. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the big challenge about marathon training, apart from the physical aspect, is fitting it all in. Yeah. Because so, everyone's busy, everyone's got stuff to be doing. Um, so it's really finding a way to incorporate that into your life. And you probably might have to sacrifice the odd glass of wine. Hello. You don't have to become a, a monk all of a sudden. Because <laughs> yeah. I think there is People. that misconception, isn't there? It's like, start marathon training, must stop all social life. Yeah. But there's six weeks in, you're tired. Yeah. You're bored because all your mates are having <laughs> fun. Yeah. And then I feel like you almost start to skip sessions intentionally. Yeah. When if you just kind of had a bit of a social life all the way along, you can kind of do both. Yeah, for sure. And I would say, you know, it's kind of like if you change all of the, the kind of settings on your life at once, like I'm now marathon training, I'm going to stop drinking. Um, that's just going to be difficult to do everything at once. So I would say start marathon training and keep drinking. I <laughs> 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 in moderation. <laughs> He said. There you go. You got that uh, run as well. Yeah. You don't have to do dry January. Yeah, you know, the, the thing about marathon training is you're burning so much energy. It's not like all bets are off when it comes to diet, but you still need to be eating carbs, really. Do you think that's the biggest mistake you see the most? Or like you hear from readers, like, I don't know what to eat on marathon training. I've given up this, this and this. Yeah, I think, again, diet is, is a, a myriad thing that you, you could probably... You could probably train for a marathon and eat more protein, but carbs has, has become known as the runner's food for a reason, just because it's got so much fuel. most energy in it. Yeah. yeah, And energy is what you're going to need. So, And I suppose it comes down to, are you running or are you racing? Like, yeah. If you're racing, you need to be more, I suppose, specific with your training. Yeah. But if you're running, it's about getting around uninjured and enjoying it yes yeah for sure you know the thing about marathons there's this kind of um, almost legendary mind state that runners get into called marathon fever on the day of the race and it's because you've you probably not run very much in the week leading up to the race so you've got loads of energy all of a sudden yeah and you're just raring to go you know if it's a big marathon like London you get to the start line and it's just this amazing Amazing buzz and energy rush. And you start off so full of adrenaline and energy. You start running and you think, God, that first mile felt really easy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually try and run a bit faster than I was planning to. <laughs> and I, you, know, you know how the story ends. I know how the story ends, um, yeah. Simplicity is key. I think anything, you know, there's some runners who get into food plans and start weighing out food. And that's when things get hard because it just means that it's another thing to keep track of. 
as yeah. well as your schedule. Talking about running form, actually, because I'm... I never get to run with you. This is, this is my first run with Andy. I'm very chuffed about it. <laughs> How is my running form? It's very good. Is it? Yeah, smooth. Ooh. Smooth. I'm trying my hardest here, guys. Light, <laughs> light on your feet, flowing. Not too much up and down. Is that, is, is that the three things to look for? Yeah, I mean, I think just running... If something looks efficient and smooth, I think that would be the, the kind of watchword. Running tall is also something that some coaches say. So that means don't like let your shoulders slump forward and don't like sit in your hips and get a bit slouchy. Like if you watch the last few miles of a marathon, you'll see lots of people who aren't running tall. But if you can kind of remember those two words Run and tall. just stay on your four feet and just try and, you know, elongate your body and keep your head facing forwards and your shoulders back. That's generally the, the cues for good running form. Okay, I'm going to remember that. Woo! <laughs> and that was conversational chat with Andy Dixon of Runner's World. Hi, fine. Thank you so no much. Pleasure. And just so, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, yeah, is, it, is it Runner's World email? Yeah, yeah, or, get, or my email. Run as well, or your email, yeah. which I will put in the credits. That's fine, yeah, it either works. Because you have a couple of ins like pages, don't you, where people can share their running stories yeah. and yeah. send letters. Yeah, we've got a Mission Marathon campaign, which is leading up to London. Um, and that's people, that's basically uniting people who are training for the marathon. Um, and as part of that, there'll be a kind of a first-timers group. So Great. Um, get involved in that, and you'll find like-minded marathon runners to, uh, to support your journey. Amazing. There you go, guys. Go search Mission Marathon now and find yourself some new running buddies. And I will catch up with you next week. Thank you very much. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to Welfare, your guide to conquering 26.2. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take 30 seconds to rate and review us on iTunes. It really does make all the difference. And I and the team read absolutely everything you write, which means the world to us. New episodes will be released every Sunday on all the usual podcast platforms, so please do subscribe and never miss a notification. Until then, thanks again to all of you for listening and supporting us, and thanks to Mags Creative, the producers of this show. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.